slowly but surely, day by day, beer by beer, until it had me. I didn't start out to be a drunk, but that's where I ended up. There was a period in my life where I drank every day. Life revolved around hanging out and having a few cold ones with my friends. A few beers on the weekend turned into a few beers with the neighbors on Thursday nights, turned into a party that started on Thursday and ran through Sunday. I knew it had a hold on me, and I would pray for the ability to stop, but I really didn't want to stop. I just didn't want the consequences that came with my addiction. DUI, job loss, death, and worst of all, divorce. The crazy thing is I had it all through this. I also had a demon who rode shotgun with me wherever I went. I was pretty good about hiding it. I knew this was my sin, but to be honest with you, I just didn't want to shake it. But on my way home, I'd end up in that parking spot once again, walking in to get 12-pack. It was as if my life was on autopilot. Drink, sleep, and repeat. I went from not really wanting to quit to knowing that I had to quit. I grew up in the church, and for as long as I can remember, when I was young, we were in church every Sunday. I'm not sure exactly what it was. I still don't know to this day, but something happened with my parents in the church, and next thing I knew, we didn't go to church ever again. But as all high school kids do, I made some poor choices uh, along the way uh, with some of my friends, and I uh, wasn't really living my life for God. While I was in college, my first semester, I had a 3.5 grade point average, and then I went to a 2.2 the second semester, and I just knew I had to do something different. Changes had to be made in my life if I was going to do what I wanted to do. After my first year in college, I decided I was going to move out of the house and move on to campus. I knew that I had to do something. The prayer I kept having was just, God, lead me to what you want me to do. Show me what you want me to do. I knew baptism was important, but I just, I, I wanted to make it on my terms, and I wanted to do it when I was ready and not being pushed by someone else. I was all alone and thousands of miles away from home on a vacation that I had planned for quite a while. Suddenly, um, became very, very ill. I took myself to a small hospital where I was monitored and watched for several days. It got really crazy. Doctors and nurses and technicians came flooding into this room saying, you have a perforated bowel. Toxins are spilling into your body. We need to take you to emergency surgery. I had very little time to think. I, I did bow my head and I prayed and I asked God to take care of my family. And I said, Lord, if it's my time, take me. But as I was rolling, watching those ceiling tiles fly over me, I didn't know if I was going to wake up. But I did. When I woke up, life as I knew it had completely changed. It was not what I wanted. It was not what I expected. I began to suffer. The toxins in my body made me extremely sick. I could not eat. Over the next 20-some days, laying in this hospital, um, I saw my body just deteriorate before my eyes. Those are some heavy stories. But those stories aren't over. 
We're going to hear more in a few minutes. But for the moment, we'll just hit pause. And in case you don't know me, my name is Doug. And before anything else, I want to say Happy Easter to all of you. Uh, I'm really glad you decided to join us online today. And I'm also really thankful for Sandra and John and Todd that they were willing to share their stories with us. All three of them are friends of mine. They're part of our church family here at Plum Creek. And their lives demonstrate the power that we celebrate on Easter Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection is proof that Jesus has the power to overcome anything, including death. And because Jesus rose from the dead, and because he is willing to put his power to work in our lives, we can also overcome anything, including fear and frustration and doubt and discouragement, even a worldwide pandemic, even a roller coaster economy. Through the power of Jesus, we can overcome absolutely anything, up to and including death itself. I'm really excited to share this message with you today. And one of the challenges with this online format is I don't know exactly who I'm talking to. Now, in some cases, I do have a pretty good idea. Uh, for example, I'm fairly certain that my wife, Hannah, and my kids are watching. Uh, but with some of you, I've never met you. I haven't had the chance to get to know you. Uh, so I don't know exactly where you're coming from. It may be that you are a fully committed follower of Jesus and you believe in the resurrection wholeheartedly and you've seen his power at work in your life. It's also possible that you're watching right now and you're not so sure about all this. Maybe someone shared a link with you and you were curious and you decided to check it out. And if that's you, you may listen to me talk about the power of Jesus and how we can overcome every trial and every struggle, and you're like, I don't know, I've got my doubts. But here's the deal. No matter who you are, whether you're full of faith or full of doubts, I'm glad you're here, and I'm praying that God will use this time to do something significant in your life. Now, here at Plum Creek, we've been on a journey through the life of Jesus for several months now. Way back on September 1st of last year, back when we could actually meet together in a church building, we started walking through the life of Jesus in chronological order. We took the four gospel books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we combined those accounts with the goal of getting a better understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done. And now, 28 weeks later, we come to the end of our journey. And the whole story of Jesus builds up to what we celebrate today. For followers of Jesus, the resurrection is the source of our hope. And I want to make sure we all understand this. The resurrection is not just a fact to believe. It's a promise to receive. God wants you to take something away from this story. God wants you to have true peace, even in the middle of chaos. He wants you to live with a tenacious joy, even though you may have real sadness and real pain in your life. And he wants you to have a rock-solid hope, even when things look very dark and very bleak. But how do we get to that place of peace and joy and hope? 
Well, we're going to look at Scripture today, and we're, we're going to make the connection between the resurrection of Jesus and our lives. And we'll start by going back to the very first Easter. I want to read Matthew's account of the resurrection. And if you have a Bible nearby, you can jump over to Matthew chapter 28. Now, last week, we looked at the story of the crucifixion. And I said, there has never been a more unfair and unjust execution in history. But that was the whole point. Jesus went to the cross by choice, even though he had done nothing wrong. He suffered and he died to pay the price that you and I deserve to pay because of our sins. At the end of last week's message, Jesus had just died. He was still hanging on the cross. And by the way, there's no doubt about it. He really was dead. The Romans made sure of that. And they took his body down from the cross and he was laid in a tomb. Now that was Friday. And the next day, Saturday, was the Sabbath. And there was a group of women who wanted to go to the empty tomb and pay their respects to Jesus, Mary Magdalene and several others. However, because of the Jewish restrictions for the Sabbath, they were forced to stay home. Those restrictions were lifted on Sunday morning, and that's where we'll pick up the story. Matthew 28, starting with verse 1. Matthew writes, After the Sabbath... At dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. So there it is, the resurrection of Jesus, the greatest miracle of all time. According to the Bible, this event is not just a legend. It's a historical fact. And you and I have to decide what we're going to do with it. But let me acknowledge something for a second. Let's say I walk up to you tomorrow and I say, hey, crazy story. I was walking through a cemetery yesterday, and all of a sudden, I saw an angel sitting on a tombstone next to a big hole in the ground. I was freaking out, obviously. But then the angel said, hey, if you're looking for the guy who was buried right here, you're looking in the wrong place because he's gone. He came back to life. Now, if I came to you with that story, there's probably a 0% chance you're going to believe me, right? So why do followers of Jesus read Matthew 28 and say, yep, that really happened? Well, you might be surprised at the amount of evidence that points to the fact that the resurrection did happen. I can't go into much detail right now, but I'd like to share just a few things to think about. For anyone who has doubts that Jesus literally and physically rose from the dead, there are several after-effects that you have to explain. I'll give you just four. First, only 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, the Christian church began. The apostle Peter, he got up in the city of Jerusalem and he preached the first sermon in the history of the church. And on that day, over 3,000 people became followers of Jesus and they were baptized. 
Now, this is in the same city where Jesus had just been crucified only 50 days earlier. The authorities wanted to shut down this movement before it ever got started, and they could have stopped the church right there by simply producing the body. But they didn't do that. The second thing you have to account for is the transformation of leaders like Peter and Paul. I just said that Peter preached a fiery sermon on the day that the church started. But on the night before the crucifixion, just 50 days earlier, this guy was so scared he denied that he even knew Jesus three times. Where did that sudden boldness come from? Or what about Paul? Why did he go from persecuting Christians to becoming a follower of Jesus to being persecuted himself? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, it's kind of hard to imagine that kind of transformation. Another thing we have to consider is the martyrdom of the apostles. These guys were willing to die before they would deny the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Based on what we know from the historical record, nearly all of those original apostles were executed as a result of their faith. Another, uh, one more thing that you need to explain is this. You have to account for the changed lives of millions of Christians throughout history. Now, I do admit that some terrible things have been done by people who called themselves Christians. And anyone can pretend to be something they're not. But when a person has a life-changing relationship with Jesus, and that relationship is authentic, they become completely different. They start to take on the qualities and the character of Jesus himself. I've seen it again and again. And for me, that's a very compelling reason to believe the story is actually true. Now, if you're interested, I'd love to share more of that evidence with you. And some people are wired to look at things from a logical, analytical perspective, and that's great. But it's also good to consider the story from a more, more of a heart perspective. What was it actually like to be present at that first Easter? If you were at the empty tomb right after the resurrection, what would you be thinking? What would you be feeling from Matthew's account, we know that both the guards and the women felt a lot of fear, and that's completely understandable. But there's another perspective we usually don't think about. What was that morning like for Jesus himself? You know, it's interesting. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John don't have much to say about that. They only give us a third-person perspective. We hear the story from the observers, and that group was pretty confused at the time. But Jesus knew exactly what was happening, and he knew why it mattered. So I want to take a moment to think about this. What did Jesus experience in that transition from death back to life? Now, this may seem a little different or even a little weird, but in just a moment, you're going to see a series of images, and I'm going to read a description of what the resurrection might have been like from Jesus' point of view. Are you ready? Let's go back to that morning almost 2,000 years ago. The earth turns on its axis, rolling Jerusalem into the light of the sun. It turns like a door swinging open pouring light into a dark room. Jesus inhales. 
His lungs expand and retract. The pupils of his eyes adjust to the yellow light, pouring in through the crack in the door. The muscles in his shoulders flex. His fingers open, stretch, curl into a fist, and then relax. His heart pumps steady and strong in his chest, and the stuff of miracles crackles in the air about him. His glorified body passes through the grave clothes, and Jesus grins. He swings his feet to the floor, seeing the scars in his flesh, and smiling again at the beauty of it all. Freedom for the captives, hope for the weary, the bright unraveling of the curse that humanity brought upon ourselves. The valley of the shadow of death now glows with the light of the noonday sun and becomes lush and green as jade. Jesus steps past the damp stone walls into the light of the new day. He remembers the price he paid and the cup he drank. As bitter as it was, he is overjoyed that he can now love his weak and wayward children with all of himself. The holy part of his nature has been satisfied. And from this time on, the way is clear. There can finally be goodwill from God to man. The sun warms his face. He closes his eyes and feels in a flash the hearts of all men and all women from the beginning of things to the end, from Adam to Abraham, all the way down to you and to me. With each beat of his holy heart, he loves enough to overwhelm us all. It's a love set loose on the world like a thunderclap of deep laughter. That laughter resounds all over the universe and then makes its way back to the ears of the figure standing at the mouth of the tomb. On the cross, in his agony, Jesus cried, It is finished. But now, as he thinks of the living hope he has unleashed, he smiles to himself and thinks, It has only just begun. Now, I didn't come up with that myself. That description was adapted from something written by a Christian author named Andrew Peterson. But what was that moment really like for Jesus? What was he really thinking? Well, nobody knows exactly. But we do know that Jesus was well aware of the significance of the resurrection. He knew why it mattered before his followers had a clue Jesus knew that he had accomplished his mission. From the time he came to earth as a baby, his entire life led up to the cross and the empty tomb. On the cross, Jesus took our guilt on his shoulders. The crucifixion is what gives us victory over death. This was the core of his mission. But we can't forget the empty tomb. The empty tomb proves that Jesus really is who he said he is. So the crucifixion is the victory, and the resurrection is the evidence that the victory is real. So what does this mean for you and me today? How does this victory really change the way we live? Well, here's the thing. There's a very clear difference between someone who has a life-changing relationship with Jesus and someone who does not. If you have put your faith in Jesus and you really have given your life to him, you have access to his power. 
You have access to all of the gifts and all of the promises that come only through him. Let me give you a concrete example. Think about the disciples and the friends of Jesus right after he died. What was their emotional state on Friday night right after the crucifixion? They were crushed. They were full of grief. They were terrified about what the future would hold. Some of you know what that feels like. And those friends of Jesus were in that dark place from Friday through all of Saturday all the way up until Sunday morning. But on Sunday morning, everything changed. Literally everything changed because Jesus was alive again. Remember back in Matthew 28, the women encountered that angel and the angel said, He is risen, just as he said. When the women heard those words, they were afraid, but a spark of hope lit up in their hearts. And then look at what happens next. Matthew 28, verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. So this is what the resurrection can do in your life. Your Friday night grief can turn into Sunday morning joy. I'm not saying that you'll never have sadness or grief anymore. And you don't have to hide your grief or pretend it isn't there. It's just that your perspective has changed because you believe in the one who has the power to overcome whatever caused your grief. The women in Matthew 28 gained that perspective. And eventually, the rest of the disciples did too. Look at John chapter 20. In that chapter, Jesus makes another post-resurrection appearance. Let's read this. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. It's the difference between night and day, isn't it? Right after the crucifixion, the disciples were sheltering in place. They were too scared and too sad to do anything. But then Jesus shows up, and their grief turns into joy. And you know what I love about this moment? Jesus predicted it. He knew all along that he would rise from the dead. He knew all along how the resurrection would change everything. And if you flip back a few chapters to John 16... Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn into joy. Now Jesus was talking to his original disciples here, but that same promise applies to anyone who is a disciple or a follower of Jesus today. Remember, the resurrection is not just a fact to believe, it's a promise to receive. So we can look at our lives and hold on to that promise with confidence. We can say, because of Jesus, my grief will turn into joy. Because of Jesus, my fear will turn into faith. Because of Jesus, my addiction will turn into freedom. Because of Jesus, my defeat will turn into victory. If Jesus truly rose from the dead, then all of those things are true. These past few weeks, 
ever since our lives have been disrupted by the coronavirus. A lot of us have had these moments where we feel overwhelmed. I know for myself, I'll go through the day feeling pretty good overall, but then all of a sudden I'll see a headline and I'll start to think, wow, what if our economy really does collapse? What will that mean for my family? What will that mean for our church? And I'll be honest, that's a scary thought. It is overwhelming. But when I've gotten that feeling, here's what helps me. It helps when I remember to focus on Jesus. And I don't always remember to do that myself. God uses Scripture or maybe one of you to remind me of the promises that we have in Jesus. And before long, everything becomes crystal clear. You see, here's the truth. Without Jesus, we will be overwhelmed. There will be a point where you get to the end of yourself. For some of you, the coronavirus has brought you to that point. For others, though, you're still feeling pretty good. Yeah, the world's going crazy right now, but you're not too concerned. You don't feel like you've lost control. And if that is you, if you are feeling good right now, I'm sincerely happy for you. But let me tell you, that feeling won't last. It can't last There will come a day when you find yourself completely out of control. If this crisis doesn't knock you down, another one will. And if you don't have Jesus when that happens, I guarantee you, you will be overwhelmed. But if you do have Jesus, everything changes. It doesn't matter how bad things get here in the present. When we're with Jesus, we've got a great future ahead. When we're with Jesus, we will overcome The resurrection proves it. You know, this is not just about the future, though. The power of Jesus can help you overcome right here and right now. I want to go back to Sandra and John and Todd. Let's listen as they tell the rest of their stories. That first year after we joined the church was excruciating. Living a lie, full of shame. My wife Melinda and I got baptized in March of 13. I still drank and I hated myself for it. The shame and guilt was terrible. I could feel God's call upon my life, but I could also feel the pull of my addiction. So many times I wanted help to ease this burden but my shame got the greater of me. I was trying to live in two worlds. I had one set of friends for one part of my life and another set of friends for the other parts of my life. After my first year in college, I decided I was going to move out of the house and move on to campus. I also had a job as a delivery driver uh, for a local pizza place. Cars they provided for us, old Honda Civics and Dodge Omnis did not have a radio. While I was delivering, God and I had a lot of time to talk. Every delivery that I had was a conversation with God. The prayer I kept having was just, God, lead me to what you want me to do. Show me what you want me to do. As those couple years went by, he finally led me to where I knew what I needed to do. The first step in moving my life in the direction that he wanted to move it was being baptized. And so in August of 1991, I was baptized. Life started changing for me. 
After 17 days, I finally regained my strength. I had just had major abdominal surgery. I was in a small little car. The questions in my mind just mounted, and, and then the fear came. Um, the anxiety, again, dealing with the enormous amount of pain. 17, 1800 miles. It was a lot of time to think when you're in the car that long. I couldn't pray, I couldn't talk, I couldn't explain what I was feeling because I didn't know. I had a whole army praying for me, for my church, my family, my friends. Meals were coming to my house. I knew that I should go to God in prayer. I felt their prayers, but I just couldn't do it. One evening watching my children play, my neighbor came over with her son who was the same age. Hearing their laughter, I knew I had to stop. That night, I prayed and I wept, and I prayed and I wept, but I did not drink. That became the pattern in my life, pray and subject myself to my Lord. The Lord did not give me a miraculous recovery from this. He burned it out of me, prayer by prayer. Then I decided I needed to transfer colleges, and I enrolled at Kentucky Christian College. God put those people in my life at that time that I desperately needed. And each of those guys befriended me, showed me the way to lead my life, and I eventually met their families, and their families were godly people who kind of were great role models for me as I went through college. My basketball coach, Dameron, uh, was a great role model. He was like a father to me. So I had my godly father, and I had Coach Dameron, who was like a father. One very sleepless night, I just got out of bed. I reached for my Bible, just said, God, you have to speak to me. I need, I need to hear from you. The verses just jumped out at me, and I felt like I was being cradled with encouragement. Cast all your burdens on him, for he cares for you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And then the guilt. Why had I turned my back to him? And as I continued to read those words, I decided at that point I was going to turn it all over to him. I was going to take these burdens and this trauma and this accident, and I was going to give it to him, and I was never going to look back. I was terrified, but my struggle was not over. I needed a friend and a man of conviction, not a yes buddy or just a hang around pal. And he put men in my life, Lenny when I needed a mentor and a friend, and Darren Bachman when I needed a friend and a brother. God gave me a brother who embraced me and my brokenness. And through that, he showed me the love of Christ. My wife, Sherry, and I, we kind of pledged to each other, and we just knew how we were going to raise Madison and Noah. And because of Jesus and what he had done in our lives, uh, we knew that was important to raise them in a way that uh, they would learn how to love God and love people as well. I've had some peaks and some valleys. It seems like a lot of those valleys came before uh, my baptism, before I came to really know Jesus. And since then, I've had a lot more peaks than I have valleys. Months and weeks went by after that. Things slowly started to change, both physically, spiritually, and emotionally. I said, I don't want to do this alone, and you tell me not to do this alone. Jesus saved me, he restored me, and he put me back together. I was never alone. He was there when I woke up, and he's here today. 
So day by day, prayer by prayer, I die to myself. And I've been born again because of Jesus. God had put these people into my lives for a reason. And the relationships that I built with them uh, helped form me and made me the man that I've become today. And our lives right now are, are filled with so many blessings simply because of Jesus. He wanted me in this spot, not where I was. Maybe not perfect, but it's way better. My relationship is so much stronger. I have been saved by Jesus again and again and again. The power of Jesus is real. The resurrection proves it. Millions of changed lives also prove it. And I'm praying that his power will take hold in your life and that you will know by experience how the resurrection changes everything. The Apostle, prayer, uh, the Apostle Paul prayed a very similar prayer for his friends. And I want to close by reading what Paul wrote to a group of Christians in a city called Ephesus. He said, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So to my Plum Creek family and to everyone watching who is a follower of Jesus, let's remember this. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you and in me. So let's take that promise and live with peace and joy and hope. Now, if you're watching right now and you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, you can begin one today. Reach out to us and, and we'd be glad to help you find that hope. Let's go to God in prayer right now. Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you for the crucifixion that gives us victory over sin and death. And I thank you for the resurrection that gives us hope. Lord, as we celebrate today, I pray that you will put that hope and joy and peace deep into our hearts so that we can live in a way that stands out from the rest of the world. Help us, Lord, to point others to you so that as many as possible can find that life and hope in Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.